What is up, y'all? Welcome to the 5Q5K. I'm your host, Josh Williams. The goal of this podcast is to create a safe and welcoming environment for you to learn and begin to embrace what I've come to know as an actively improving lifestyle. We hope you're able to get out there and get active while you join in on our conversation. That being said, let's get to it. All right, what is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the 5Q5K. I'm here with Jeffrey Chang. How you doing, Jeffrey? Doing good. How about yourself? Dude, doing good, man. Glad we glad we got this figured out. We've been meaning to get in the lab for a minute, so I'm glad to be sitting down with you. It's an honor. It's an honor. Um, you've been talking about this pod for a long time. I remember the first time you talked about it with me in the parking lot of our church at Northway, um, and you've come a long way since. So it's been really cool to see the progress. Hey, thanks, man. Dude, trying to trying to lock in, just help everybody out as much as we can. Got to keep improving, but um, yeah, man. Well, to give us give everybody a window into Jeffrey and kind of give us your background in athletics. Yeah, for where sure. you started, where you've been. Happy to, happy to. Well, I'll start at the beginning. Um, athletics aside, I was born in Potomac, Maryland. Grew up there, uh, and then came down to Texas to go to Baylor University. And uh, been in Texas since, but. As for the athletic background, um, I was really fortunate. My parents, uh, when they were raising me, tried to expose me to just plenty of sports just to see what would catch. And so I remember at a young age, I did soccer, um, gymnastics, skating, uh, a little bit of basketball. Um, I didn't know you were a skater. Is it like skateboarding or like roller skating? <laughs> no, or? no. Like my, my mom, whenever she watches the Olympics, she loves figure skating. I think, oh, that kind of skating. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, ice skating. Um, I was expecting kickflips and stuff, <laughs> but, but hey, there you go. <laughs> you don't ever want to see me on a skateboard. It'd be a very bad situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, just ice skating. And I, I was frankly really really bad at it i spent more time on my butt than on the skates itself so that was quickly a no so not the um, not the next apollo oh apollo, no right? oh no right. no not a speed <laughs> skater that's for sure um but around age six age seven uh my brother joined a volleyball clinic and me being a little brother wanted to do everything that he did and so uh that's when i started playing volleyball and quickly found that was a sport that i really enjoyed um, and so grew up through that clinic. And then in seventh grade, I started playing club volleyball, um, played in high school and then played club at Baylor as well. Um, and that's like on the court, not on the beach. Or yeah. Not sand, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> I don't mess with sand volleyball. I think Kobe RIP once said that playing in sand volleyball felt like running through mud. And that that's to me, the uh, perfect description is so hard for me to play. Sand okay. volleyball. I can't jump. I can't move. Feels like quicksand to me. Whereas people that are good, you know, they just look effortless playing sand volleyball. So I just knew I could never really compete on that front. So. Okay. Hey, well, you got to know your strengths, man. Yep. Sounds yep. like you carved out the nice volleyball, well, court volleyball career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. I definitely miss. Uh, competing and i guess maybe a little bit of a segue over to the topic of the podcast um you know for for me now running has kind of scratched that itch a little bit right in the stage of life that we're in now it's it's tough for me to find that competition via volleyball right like there's no longer opportunity to play for my school um or for a club and so uh, in terms of finding something to push myself and to 
competing, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, running has kind of served as that a little bit. Okay, uh, cool, cool. So how how'd you how'd you let that itch bite you for running? Like, what was the what's the running <laughs> origin story here? Oh man, it's uh, it definitely uh, did not start as that. I'd say. Growing up, I really only saw running as a means for additional exercise. Um, like conditioning for volleyball, basically? yeah. Okay. Yeah. And to that effect, running was never really something enjoyable for me. Okay. Right? Um, even in college, I think the way I thought about it was, um, you know, given the opportunity to run or to go hoop with the boys, like, of course, I'm going to go run fives with the guys instead and get my exercise via that. That's fair. Um, so running was really always just kind of an afterthought. You know, that being said, I think the first race that I ever signed up for was the Barathon, which I think was also your first yeah. race, right? Junior yeah, my year, first Bayer. half, man. First half. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and candidly, the only reason why I signed up for that was at the time I was interested in a girl that was also really into running. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to start training for this thing and maybe I can hopefully impress her. Um, Did it work? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that specifically uh, contributed. We, we did end up dating for uh, a couple of years. Okay. Um, Hey, but it worked on the getting into running. <laughs> Precisely. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> Wins a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you can let, uh, you know, very short-sighted reasons blossom into um, something that's actually very fruitful and with longevity. And so, uh, you know, although a very nearsighted reason to start running, I'm, I'm very glad that I've gotten into it. Um, and so since, since that Barathon... Um, you know, I kept on wanting to um, just get deeper and deeper into running. I think especially during COVID, running was kind of that one outlet for uh, exercise, but then also opportunity to, you know, let your mind relax and um, let the stress of the day roll off. Get right? some yard time. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> precisely. Don't be so cooped up, right? Yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And then uh, when I moved to Dallas back in uh, earlier last year, I don't really know why, but I ended up just signing up for the Dallas Marathon. You don't have like a reason why? It's just like a, ah, whatever. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it, I guess. Was it that kind of thing? Well, I mean, a couple things. One, I, I honestly can't really remember the reason. I was thinking about this earlier. It's like, why did I sign up for the Dallas Marathon? And honestly, I think I need to give it a shout out to Richard Beggs. Because ah, he had run, Beggs, yeah, <laughs> he had run the Dallas Marathon the year prior. And I was just like, when I saw him post it on Facebook, I think I was like, wow, Richard ran a full marathon. Like, maybe I should try that too. So I feel like that's maybe what sparked it initially. Okay. Um, but part of it too was, you know, running a half marathon, uh, that first marathon was a big achievement, right? Like it was really tough and it was really cool to be able to do something like that. But at the end of it, you know, I kind of thought, hey, I think I can push this a little bit further, right? I think I can do, I can take it to the next step. And so the full marathon was that next step. And I just wanted to see what it would lead to. Let's I feel like that, that next step is healthy, man. Like I remember we, we did that it was some 5K they had on Baylor's campus, I remember. 
we were we were talking after it or something and you were like hey like that that didn't scratch the itch for you i was like ah no it's, it's fun like i don't know but i think there, like you said like there's like that natural progression of like hey like i want that new challenge and i want that like let's kind of keep pushing and see see where we can go so mm-hmm. props mm-hmm. to you man got it done and tell them what's coming up next because we're running it back right <laughs> yeah we're running it back not the dallas marathon this time though um we're gonna hit the houston marathon we've got a pretty good crew of people going out to do that pretty excited about it because unlike dallas houston is a really flat course i think it's 25 feet of total elevation the entire way but that Um, comes like mainly in like one little portion i'm pretty sure too oh man you're you're ahead of me i haven't done any research at all yet but hey just a little bit just a little (laughs) bit of research (laughs) yeah so uh houston marathon um Got a good crew. Tommy Keen, my roommate's doing it too. Both of us kind of have an unofficial goal of wanting to finish it in a in a three thirty. So I think that translates to an eight minute mile pace. And so nice. Um, been training together, hitting a couple long runs, um, and just been having a really fun time with it. Cool. Um, we're still several weeks out, so um, you know I think we're in a good spot, but. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it'll be nice and cool. Like I know, I know last year I heard from somebody that went last year, I guess it was like really like hot on the race day. And I was like, brother, please no, please, <laughs> please no. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. Temperature really is a huge deciding factor. Yeah. And maybe that's just me saying it as, um, someone looking for an excuse if i don't get a great performance but i think it is a big factor like you know just three or four weeks ago when it was still 80s and 180 to 100 in dallas like you, you go for what you think is an easy run your heart rate is just it ain't an easy it, run it, it, it is not an easy run whereas we've had this really nice stretch of 50 degree weather and all these runs have just felt so good so I, i'm right there with you man i'm, I'm hopeful that come houston marathon time will be nice and cool <laughs> yeah dude I, I guess we'll see like i've heard it's supposed to be like a pretty intense winter so yeah. i'm like I'm, i've got my fingers crossed because i'm like dude i'd rather it be intensely cold than intensely hot like that's that's manageable yeah you know <laughs> I, I mean what's what's your uh what's an ideal temperature range for you i think my perfect weather the day that i've experienced that's been the best was the eugene marathon and it was like somewhere between 40 and 50 degrees at the start real overcast like not windy but like the the air was just crisp like it was just like everything was perfect that day and i think those are like those days don't come around often but when like when god blesses you with one you're like ah here we go like we're cooking today like for instance like last april in boston like it started raining like Mm -hmm. right when we started i'm like oh this is going to be an interesting interesting bout and then it stopped but then it started at like mile 13 ish and dude like i have chafed in ways that i did not know was humanly possible in the rain like i mean it's there's so many variables that come into like i mean when you're thinking about marathon training in general the whole training block there's so many different variables Mm -hmm. then you go to race day it's like a whole nother batch of variables like the weather like different ways you've trained if we're going to go into like I mean, even going into the nutrition, like what you're eating and like making sure that you have like 
enough calories and enough carbohydrates in your system um, to finish the race and finish it strong. I think that's a big thing. And I know that's something that you've put some time and thought into is kind of figuring out your, your fueling routine, kind of tell, tell everybody a little bit about that. Cause I know for, for those that are kind of starting out, like they might not, they might not be knowledgeable of Martin or they might not be goo guzzlers. You know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, got to credit a lot of this to you. Um, a lot of the, my current, um, nutrition, uh, approaches from advice from you. Um, Uh-oh. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if mine's the best, so I'm, I'm a little concerned. No, no, no. Uh, you know, when I first ran that first marathon, I remember I knew nothing about race day nutrition. And so I think at that time I was, uh, working as a manager for the uh, women's volleyball team and they had the snack bin. Uh, and in the snack bin, they had these honey stingers, right? Mm-hmm. And so little waffle things? Uh, I know what you're talking about, but one of, this was one of their gels. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. In, in my very limited understanding of um, you know, proper fuel, I'd seen uh, other runners use some form of gel before. And so I think one of the practices before the marathon, I just grabbed one and was like, I'm going to use this to power my way through this uh, half marathon. And uh, to anybody that's run the marathon before or heard of it, you'll know that um, it has its uh, pretty tough stretch to the hills, I think. Miles, it's ups six, and downs, yeah, literally, yeah. right? <laughs> very high ups and very high downs. And so I think my plan going into it was to take uh, a honey stinger going into the hills. And uh, I made the mistake of taking the honey stinger like right after a water station. Uh, and so my throat was just gummed up for uh, oh. that next mile until the next water station. Um, and... Uh, I mean, for a lot of reasons, was a pretty pretty bad approach to to race day fuel. I think from that experience, um, you know, knew I needed to take a more measured approach. And I think you were the first person that actually introduced me to using goos and um, other gels and being really methodical with it. From there, learned that like you know you don't just need one uh, gel for a race. Like the, what you want to be doing, you can honestly read this on the instructions label of uh of whatever whatever your preferred gel is but for goo for example i think you're supposed to take one every 45 minutes five minutes before so at the 40 minute mark you take one um and so, so then it's like active and going exactly like constantly yeah. replenishing um and giving yourself additional fuel besides just going into the race there's um also figuring out your morning routine is also uh, extremely important and I think it kind of varies based off of uh, who you are right and so it's really good to use your training block and see how your body reacts to certain foods and also knowing like when you have to eat so mm-hmm. like for me what I realized uh, over the last couple of races like what works real well for me um, is about two hours before race start I want to get a banana I want to get a cliff bar in me uh, for other people, that could be oatmeal or, or bread or whatever. Um, but figuring out before race day is super important so that on race day, you're not trying something new and just destroying your stomach right before. 
Um, I've been there, dude. Like, have you, have you ever, did you try that? Like trying something new on a race day? Oh man. Uh, fortunately, no, but I mean, I think you and I both have heard a lot of horror stories. So. Dude. Oh my gosh. I remember I did that in, in Oklahoma city. I had, whatever had happened, like I'd ran out of, I think I was doing goo at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd ran out of the flavors of goo I had. So then at the expo, I was like, yeah, I'll just get this other one. This one looks great. I'll like, this is wonderful. And it was like something like some stupidly sweet flavor, like birthday cake explosion or like something. I don't know. It's like some random flavor, uh-huh. but like they, Oh, you know how it is. Like it's always, they've got like, it's like lime attack, birthday <laughs> cake explosion, like just different things like that. And right. Like weird names. And I, I tried whatever, probably, I think it was like birthday cake explosion or something. I was like, Oh, this is going to be great was not great. My stomach hated that thing, man. And I was going to the bathroom the whole day. So it was, we got Halloween coming up. That was a spooky, that was a spooky instance right there. Indeed. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. No, I, I think it, to your point, it is important to find a flavor that works for you. I know you're not the biggest fan of goose now anymore. Dude, it just, um, like, they clog up my throat. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, it, I think it also depends too, right? Like they've got goo octane, which goes down a little bit easier. So for me, I don't love goo either, but after experimenting with a couple like blueberry pomegranate, it's pretty unoffensive to me. And so I can just pop one and down one. But um, see, for me, like when I, when I made the switch to like doing like the Martin stuff, I'm yeah. like, like saying not offensive and going like, <laughs> Hey, this one isn't offensive. And that being like the, the measure of success for me, I was like, I gotta have something that like I can actually stomach and like for, for a sensitive stummy hive out there, like Martin works for my sensitive stummy. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no. And that's, that's the elite stuff to your point. Um, you know, I've started using Martin more and more and, uh, you know, while goo is unoffensive to me, well, I'll say, when I'm on a long run and I know I've got a Morton coming up in 20, 30 minutes, I get super excited because <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like how they taste. Um, yeah. uh, it's kind of weird, but like, I think personally it kind of tastes like, uh, you know, tapioca pearls and boba tea. Um, the goo or the Martin? The Martin. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, dude, goo tastes like literal glue, like that, that Elmer's glue that yeah. like, do you ever have kids in your class that would eat glue? Uh, fortunately, no. <laughs> oh, okay, well. There were kids in my class in elementary school doing that, and that's what I always picture, like, eating goo. I'm like, I literally turned into that kid that's now eating and, like, chugging Elmer's glue. So, I don't know. Lots sorry, goo. sorry, goo, if you're listening to this, but <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So, I mean, we've hit on pre-race, during race, um, I think for post race to give you a shout out as the uh, as the noon enforcer. Um, uh, I love me some noon, <laughs> man. Uh, you you definitely got me on that, and so uh, just a couple products that I've used uh, these past couple of years. Yeah, for me, like I I don't use the gels or anything like that on like every run, like because at the end of the day, like all you really need is you're getting like some sort of carbs in. So, I mean, you can eat anything that's got carbs in it to help you. So like, if you, if you look at the gels and you're like, I can't do this or like, I mean, some of them are kind of expensive, I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Um, but if, if that's not something, just make sure you're getting something and it's giving you a good source of like carbs to continue like 
fueling for that workout because i mean we were going on like an hour or two run i mean you, you can't be doing nothing you know and i mean especially like talking about noon and like the hydration products that's something in texas that like this summer dude i was like breaking my long run into little segments and just chugging chugging some noon in between all of them and i mean i yeah, love me yeah. noon, man i'm a noon goon <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned the ways that little differences can make differences on a race day so kind of tell me like where you started from a training block perspective and kind of how you've edited that along your path. Cause I mean, you've done multiple halves now, like you're getting ready for the second marathon, kind of walk us through what's changed and how you've kind of solidified that routine. I'd say the very first uh, training block that I did, I uh, really knew nothing at all. And so I think what I did is I just hopped on Google and, and searched a 10 week training program for a half marathon. It was something pretty simple, you know, you just do a couple of shorter runs and then um, have a longer run at the end of the week. And I think the way it works, it built up from a long run of five miles to, to 10 miles. Um, and so I really just followed that and focused on miles with that first running block without really thinking about much else. And um, I think for subsequent races, I quickly began to realize that um, the way that you run those runs is also incredibly important. That first training block, I kept running into injuries. Um, you know, I'd get tendonitis. Was uh, this the marathon one? Yeah, the, okay. the very first one. I'd run into okay. tendonitis and just got really frustrated. And I think what I realized was I was pushing too hard on all these runs, right? Because okay. I was just trying to run them as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And the issue there is it just puts so much strain on your body. And so yeah. I know a lot of people that have hopped on the podcast really emphasize the importance of a slow run, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, not only does it make it more enjoyable and, um, you know, a whole lot less terrible, right? Where yeah. you, you don't feel like you want to die after every single run. What I found is when I started making sure that 80% of my runs were easy paced runs, yeah, the yeah. injuries melted away, right? Like, and it's important because when you get injured, that's downtime during your training block and it can really throw everything off. So over the next couple of races, um, that's what I kind of realized. You have to mix in slow runs. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, with the Dallas Marathon, hitting the 20-mile mark, my legs just felt so dead. Right. Is that the hill? Is that like the white Yeah, hill? yeah, it's okay. the hill. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, beyond that, right, I think while I had prepped, I think there's just the longer that you run, um, longer as in like duration of months and years, mm -hmm. your body just kind of builds up a stronger aerobic base, right? Mm -hmm. And so with this training block, I've started a whole lot earlier. And so just trying to get more weeks of hitting 40 to 50. Those training miles lead to race day smiles, right? Or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> you might have to put that on a shirt, man. Dude, there you go. Why not, man? It's hard to tell if it's actually the work that's been done or if it's just the way they're improving. So TBD, we'll, we'll see how Houston goes. Maybe uh, we'll run it back and I'll report um, on the next pod. There you go, okay. man. Yes. I, I, think, I think it's finding those little tweaks that are like, manageable to do like i mean i know like for me there's still a lot of things i want to change and there's a lot of things i want to improve on but for me trying to go okay there's these seven new things i'm going to do like 
I just know myself and I know that's not super realistic that I'm going to maintain all of those. And then also, I don't know how my body's going to react with like adding like seven different things. So for me, I'm like, I always try to like dedicate like one, like, like sharpen the game by like one, one way at least each mm-hmm. block. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, I keep saying there's going to be that block that I just go in and I end up doing like concerted weight room activity every, every week. And Still hadn't happened yet, but maybe, maybe for the next one, we'll see, man. I don't know, but I'm with you on the, like adding more mileage, which I think in, I mean, in the Texas summer, it's, it's easy to say like, Hey, I'm going to add on like more mileage, but do them all at lower intensity. Cause I mean, the way it is out here, you got to do low intensity miles yeah. for some of it, at least because it's just when it's over a hundred every day. And like, even at, what was it? It was like, I remember we texted one time and you were like, so what was the temperature when you went? I told you and you were like, ah, you went too early because it technically cools down <laughs> until six and then starts heating back yeah, up. And I yeah. got it like five. So it was to like 92 yeah. or four or something like something crazy. But I don't know. I, I think just finding that one little thing like that, that would be my advice for somebody just like, hey, like find something you can change this block and then like see if it works for you. Because I mean, if you change a ton of things and it doesn't work, you don't know what worked and what didn't work. It's kind of a crapshoot at that point yeah. yeah yeah well there's also just a beauty of consistency too in, in the sense of like continue doing what's working for you right and then the issue with making radical change is it's hard to stick to it right? yeah whereas yeah. when you introduce one thing to layer on top of your current base i think that allows for um, a better, more gradual uh, potential improvement. So that that's just kind of my perspective on it. I know other people uh, are probably able to be more gung ho and just completely revamp. But it was, uh, again, what's worked for me? Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair, man. All right, so it is pretty close to Halloween, so I figured we could talk about kind of some spooky running stories. And you know, the spookiest stories happen at night. So do you have any kind of like? dicey run-ins or any things that happen when you've gone for night runs Uh, i've been pretty fortunate um you know just in recent memories when i first moved to dallas i moved to near the smu area and it was strategic in the sense of i knew at some points i would probably have to run at night and so if i I thought to myself i'm going to be running somewhere in dallas probably a little safer running around the smu campus than like downtown dallas that being said, one thing I didn't really think about, um, apparently coyotes are native to, to Dallas. I didn't really, not Dallas, to, to Texas. I didn't really think that that'd be an issue living like where we are, super metropolitan. I remember going out for one night run, and as I'm leaving an apartment, I hit this fork in the road, and there's a lady out there, and she goes, if you turn right, you get coyotes down there all the time. And Keep in mind, at this point, I've been running at night for like four, four to six months. I was just like, ha ha, funny, okay. You got a funny joke, Yeah, man. funny joke, <laughs> yeah. You're out here just trying to scare me. Um, and I remember it was, I, I didn't run into anything that night. But literally the next day, I went out for another night run. And um, as I'm running around along this little path of mine by my apartment, I look to the left. And there's a couple little eyes in, in the darkness. And I was like, okay, well, motivation to run faster, right? 
Do they like chase you or anything, or like, or are they just kind of minding their biz? Well, that's the thing, right? So like, yeah. I, I've always heard of coyotes and cartoons and whatnot. Never actually seen one in real life, so. You're thinking the Spurs mascot is who you're thinking <laughs> when you think of a coyote, right? <laughs> yeah, something big, right? Um, but what emerged from the shadows was like the size of a dog. <laughs> it's yeah. just like okay if there was a whole pack of them i probably would have been more scared but with just one uh, with just one you're like i'm taking the puppy home that's that's my dog now <laughs> or uh, if it jumps at me i just might punt it so that's fair <laughs> that that's probably been the uh the biggest roller coaster um seeing the eyes and then seeing how small the actual coyotes were but uh beyond that no man I'm, i've been fortunate i haven't had any uh, super crazy run-ins? I had a spookier, like, I guess, I don't know. I, th I think my spookiest runs have come, too, like, with kind of either running, like, I mean, when you're running in Waco and you hear barking, you better start speeding <laughs> up because they're not going to be, like, on chains or anything. They're going to be running at you. But I remember when I went to, when I was in Greece this spring, actually, I was running with a friend of mine that was on the trip uh, named Alan. And Alan and I were, we were running in this rural, like, Greek town. And we're kind of, we're going and we start hearing barking. And there's, like, these dogs, like, pretty big dogs, pretty like buff looking guys coming up to us. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, I don't know how this is about to go. And Alan tells me, he's like, ah, you just got to be scarier, th scarier to them than they are to you. And my man starts barking and the oh, dogs like, are like, oh, oh. Oh, like what's going on? And, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I've used that a couple times since then. Like I was going for a night run this summer and I was, I mean, I get going late, you, you know, and I, I was going pretty late one night through this park and i thought oh it's gonna be well lit i'll be fine but the lights were out so it was like it was very mm -hmm, dark mm -hmm. and at one point this guy just kind of comes out of the shadows and he's like hey man i need some help right now and i was sitting here like i'm about to get killed man so in my head like it just went back to be scarier to him be than he is to, to you and i started i i went <laughs> and the guy looked at me like I was insane, dude. But hey, I'm living to tell the tale. So I mean, if that guy's out there listening, apologies to that guy. But I mean, I was I was going on the defensive there. Yeah. You know? All right, man. So final question here. Uh, if you've got one piece of advice to give either to a beginner runner or, or to pass back to Jeff as a beginner runner, like what would your one word of advice be? Yeah, yeah. F fair enough. I'd say... Beginner Jeff could have used a whole lot more than just one piece of advice, but, you know, honestly, kind of a testament to your podcast. Like I wish beginner Jeff could have um, listened to the advice of the, the people that you've had on the pod before. They've said a lot of really important things that I think are, are really helpful for um, somebody's racing journey from, you know, running slower to also, um, you know, not let comparison be a thief of joy, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of really good stuff there. Um, and so I'll, I'll offer more of a insider tip that you actually shared with me uh, okay. during our, our second marathon, my second marathon. Um, I think it was my second too. Was it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, it's going to sound super simple, but it honestly completely changed uh, how that race went for me, I think. The first marathon that I ran, I could not figure out for the life of me how to drink water. Like, oh, like how stop? to drink it fast. Like, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, if you try to drink it fast while you're running, you end up with more water all over your face where you choke on it. And I think I actually asked you the night before, like, I was just telling you one of the things I struggled with. And you're like, oh, man, I got a tip for you. 
And so what you told me was when you pick up the water, you want to crush the cup in half. And so you just leave a little sliver and that way you can just shoot the water real quick. Yeah, dude. And I remember doing it during that second marathon. I was so blown away. I'd never been hydrated better than that ever during a race day. So that would be my one tip. Um, Hey, those pit stops matter, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. You got to make them fast, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't be like Ferrari uh, F1 pit crew team. You've got to be Red Bull in and out just like that. <laughs> you can, no mistakes, man. No, <laughs> no mistakes. mistakes, man. No mistakes. I think crushing those, man, like it's speaking of like you don't want to get dehydrated. You don't. I mean, like only like only elites are going to have like a table of their own little water bottles ready. So like you're going to have to do the cups at some point. And for me, like crushing that in half. And just being able to take like little sips, mm-hmm. it's it's done wonders for me. I don't. I'm sure. I I know I was taught that by someone as well. So <laughs> don't don't throw it just to me like that. It's I'm I'm a product of somebody else's coaching tree. But but it is it is a good advice. It speeds up those pit stops. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I don't know that anybody else would have shared that with me um, if it weren't for you. So wanted to spread the love and, and hey, let the hey. listeners know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thanks, man. I've been. But I'm, you know me, I'll give you any tips I got. I'll try to try to speed anybody up. So, uh, well, dude, I wanted to say thank you for being on today, Jeff. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for always being somebody that I've been able to run with and like always open to go and just kind of hang out and go for a run and just talk about whatever. I appreciate it. And I've, I've loved having you live up in Dallas, man. I need your friendship, man. So it's been great. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on the pod. I appreciate you being awesome running partner and uh you know really excited to see uh see our journey yeah we're ready for houston man we're about to tear it up (laughs) there you go well um thank y'all for listening today uh i know we hit a lot of good stuff we hit a lot of stuff that'll help y'all on race day and uh maybe told you some ideas to help make spooky night runs not as spooky you know you got to be spookier than whoever you're running into like we said um but just want to thank y'all again for listening uh, if you enjoyed what you learned and um, feel like it, make sure you give it a five stars, like, and subscribe, do all the things, you know, I appreciate it all. Um, so until next time, hope you all had a good one and just keep improving. Have a good one, guys. Peace. Peace.